Often hidden from public view, voluntary research societies have a major impact on medical progress. One such organization, the Society for Gynecologic Investigation, labor on in relative obscurity yet provide valuable networking for the world's leading researchers in women's health. You're listening to ReachMD, XM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Today we are discussing professional research societies. In this segment, we will be focusing on the Society for Gynecologic Investigation. With me today is Dr. Charles Lockwood. He is the Anita O'Keefe Young Professor of Women's Health and Chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine. He also is the President of the Society for Gynecologic Investigation. Welcome, Dr. Lockwood. Thank you. We're pleased to have you on the show. So what can you tell us about the Society for Gynecologic Investigation? When was it founded and what is its mission? Well, it was actually founded in 1953, so it's over 50 years old, and it was originally developed by a group of uh, investigators interested in preeclampsia or toxemia pregnancy. They formed what was then called the Society of University Gynecologists, and since then it has morphed into an organization of now over 1,200 members from all the continents except Antarctica. It has about 20% of the membership currently is international, and about 80% is North American. But that number of international members is actually growing much faster than the number of U.S. members. Roughly 62% of membership are MDs who do basic translational or clinical research in OBGYN or reproductive science, and about 35% are either PhDs or MD-PhDs. Currently, it really is the leading reproductive science organization in the world, and among U.S. members, virtually all have NIH funding. Oh, I see. So these are really primarily basic science researchers or researchers really doing very active clinical research. That's right. Exactly. What is the mission of the society? Does it have a specific set of stated purposes? The overall mission is to establish the scientific basis and clinical translation of reproductive science and women's health by providing and promoting leadership and excellence in research, which we think we represent, an international forum for scientific exchange. And traditionally, our meetings have have been held in the United States, although the first was in Siena, Italy, and the second will be in Valencia, Spain. And our annual scientific meeting in 2009 will actually be in Edinburgh, Scotland. So it's becoming a real international forum for scientific exchange. We also provide mentoring, career development, and education as part of our mission. And that is sponsored by grants that the organization provides for young researchers by sponsoring the Reproductive Science Development Program, RSDP, which trains young scientists in reproductive areas to then go on, hopefully, to successful careers. And we also provide mentoring, actually, at our annual meeting with special breakfasts and meetings on how to get grants, and that can be in the United States or in Europe, for that matter. In addition, as part of our overall mission, we advocate for research in women's health and reproductive science, and also we collaborate within academia 
within government and industry and professional organizations to fulfill our mission. Where do you get your funding? The funding comes from a number of, of specific sources, and that includes the NIH, which has provided uh, now two different grants to support the organization. We also get funding from our membership through our fees and through the annual meeting dues. And we have a corporate advisory board of now 20 members that has been extremely generous in their philanthropic support of the organization. Do you have a journal? As I understand it, I read something about the fact that you had a new journal coming out. The original journal's title was the Journal of the Society for Gynecological Investigation, and we renamed it, I think, to better reflect who we are. So it's now called the Reproductive Science. And Reproductive Sciences is really focused on presenting top-flight research that reflects translational research in OBGYN and reproductive science. That might be sort of the basic and translational science of preeclampsia, which is one of the leading hypertensive disorders in women, or prematurity, which is the leading cause of infant mortality in the United States, or endometriosis, which is one of the leading causes of infertility in the United States, fibroids, which is one of the leading indications for surgery in the United States. So it covers, I think, very, very, we cover very, very important topics in women's health in depth and in the, on the pages of the journal as well as at our annual meeting. There can be basic science presentations, translational research, or even clinical research. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Charles Lockwood, Chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine. He is also President of the Society for Gynecologic Investigation. Today we are discussing professional research societies. In this segment, we have been focusing on the Society for Gynecologic Investigation. Can you explain for our audience the term translational research? It's actually a relatively new term and one that I certainly did not hear when I went to medical school. Well, it really is what it sounds like. It's to translate basic research that is you know, acquired at the bench, usually through experiments on cell cultures or in animals, to the bedside. And so, for example... I'll use as an example a drug developed here in our department at Yale called phenoxidiol. And, and phenoxidiol was a drug that was developed to restore the sensitivity of women with ovarian cancer, cisplatinum and, and taxol, which are the two of the big chemotherapeutic agents used to treat ovarian cancer. And so this work began in the laboratory of Dr. Gilmore here in my department, and he screened about 140 different drugs using about 40 different cell culture lines that were resistant to these chemotherapeutic agents until he found an agent that, in fact, seemed to restore this sensitivity to these chemotherapeutic agents. He then uh, analyzed how the drug worked. It worked by reestablishing the expression of programmed cell death or apoptotic proteins. And after he confirmed in animals that, that it was non-toxic, virtually completely non-toxic, we actually began phase one trials here. Now we're doing phase two trials sponsored by the NIH. So that's really the whole story. The basic science occurred in a cell culture system using a variety of different drugs that he thought theoretically based on computer modeling would work. He confirmed in cell cultures and then in a nude mouse animal model that this drug really did seem to restore the efficacy of, of these chemotherapeutic agents and then began trials 
right here in, in the department on patients with ovarian cancer. So he really was able to translate a basic science observation and theory into a clinical trial. And so that research is really classic translational research. Can you tell us about any other cutting-edge research that are being done by reproductive health investigators? Just going to this last annual meeting of the SGI was really a wonderful reflection of all the exciting cutting-edge work that's being done in the field. So just to give you some, some highlights, there's been an explosion in our understanding of how the immune system works in pregnancy. We used to think that pregnancy was all about suppressing the mom's immune system so that the placenta could attach and the placental cells could invade the wall of the uterus. Research that was presented at our last meeting in March and ongoing in the labs of many SGI members suggest, in fact, it's com that's completely wrong, that, in fact, the immune system is critical to stimulate the growth of the placenta, and you need to have an adequate maternal immune response to be able to ensure that these immunological cells, macrophages and natural killer cells, produce the right combination of hormones or cytokines that stimulate uh, trophoblast and, or placental cell invasion and the establishment of a good uteroplacental blood flow. It's really a, a sort of radical and revolutionary view of how the immune system works, and it parallels similar work also presented at the meeting on how ovarian cancer and endometrial cancer are stimulated by the immune system, that in fact the immune system may be an Achilles heel, if you will, that can stimulate as well as potentially in some cases inhibit tumor cells. So that's, I think, a really quite remarkable finding. I think another area that uh, has been exploding of late is our understanding of preterm delivery. About 60% of the presentations at SGI reflect obstetrics rather than gynecology, despite our name. So there was some really novel and cutting-edge theories and research presented that begin to peel away some of the layers of the onion that is prematurity. Prematurity is leading really public health problem in the United States. It's a leading cause of infant mortality. It's a leading cause of cerebral palsy, of mental retardation, chronic blindness in children, and so forth. And we really have made great strides, and much of this has been presented at, at SGI meetings in the past and at our last meeting, in understanding, for example, how inflammation and genetic predispositions to exaggerated inflammatory responses may be triggering uh, preterm deliveries. We have a much better understanding now, for example, of how bleeding into the wall of the uterus or abruption can lead to prematurity. And, and we've really sort of discovered all the primary pathways by which both infection and hemorrhage can trigger the preterm delivery process. And they, in fact, are the leading causes of prematurity and particularly of very early preterm delivery. So that just gives you a sampling of what's really been a renaissance in great research in, in reproductive science over the last few years. What about any research into the cause of labor at term? We understood it reasonably well in sheep, if memory serves, but humans were still a bridge too far. Well, we're getting there. I, I think that what we finally discovered was that there are lots of ways to enter labor at term, that nature's been pretty clever. Rather than looking for the single mechanism that triggers labor term, we've really discovered that there are probably five or six ways to enter the labor process. And in fact, premature labor co-ops steals those pathways. And so inflammation can cause preterm delivery, but it can also cause delivery at term. 
hemorrhage into the wall of the uterus, abruption, can cause preterm delivery, but it can cause delivery at term. Stress can cause preterm delivery by activating the fetal hypothalamic adrenal axis to make uh, estrogens, for example. But that probably is, in fact, how most term labors start. It starts by the natural evolution ontogeny of the fetal hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. The fetal adrenal gland becomes much more active near term. It produces more and more androgens that are converted to estrogens. And those estrogens prime the uterus and the cervix to get it ready for labor. I want to thank Dr. Charles Lockwood, Chair of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences at Yale University School of Medicine and President of the Society for Gynecologic Investigation, who's been our guest. We have been discussing professional research societies. In this segment, we focus on the Society for Gynecologic Investigation. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.